My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. It is so good to see you this morning. Let me welcome you to our church family here at Clear Creek. If this is your first time, welcome. We are not a perfect people, but we serve a perfect God who wants to make each of us a little bit more like his son every day. And our goal here is simply to celebrate Jesus and introduce you to him and try to be like him a little bit more every day. Now, we are in a series called Today Resolution, looking at resolutions that, if done daily, can have massive, radical impact on our lives. And what we found in most of our lives, if you're like me and if you're like most people, we will set unrealistic resolution goals in the first part of the year. We will resolve for things 365 days out. And what I'm finding, and perhaps what you found in your own life, is that that doesn't always work well. But if instead I say today, just today, I will fill in the blank. I have a much higher chance of being able to do that. And in fact, what we've said is that biblically speaking, God cautions us from living or from planning to live exclusively in the future. He calls us to live fully today. And so today we're looking at the fourth today resolution in the six-part series. And it's actually something that we are already doing today and will do today. And in fact, you may not even realize that you just did it a moment ago. But before I tell you what it is, I'm going to read the passage from which this today resolution comes and see if together we might see what the Lord would have us do today. And so if you will, let's look together at the New Testament book of Hebrews We will be in chapter 3 of Hebrews, where the author is talking to a group of urban Christians going through a challenging season. And I want you to hear what he says to them, and then the today resolution part of it as well. This begins in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. It says, today, if you hear his voice, this is God If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath, or as a promise, in my anger, God said, they shall never enter my Rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But watch this. But encourage one another when? Daily. As long as it is called what? Today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another today. Let's pray together. Father, in this room, there are many stories and many lives. We often come dressed up and looking good, but we often wear inside these clothes hurts and difficulties that we're facing and what so many of us need, yet the world so seldom gives, is true biblical encouragement. So I pray today you would teach us what that means, that we would not walk away with a superficial understanding of what it means to encourage, but that we would understand the bedrock biblical truth and we would lean into it so that as a people, we may not harden our hearts, but always remain soft to you and the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, go before us in this text. Teach us what we need to see. We ask this now. In Jesus' name, and the whole church said, amen. Now, let me give you a little context. We've only got three points today, okay? So don't worry. You can kind of keep up with how long this sermon's going to be based on where we are in the points. Three points. Here's the thing I need you to understand before we get into any of it, though, is a little bit of the context. The author of Hebrews is talking to a group of urban Christians in the first century. They were not experiencing the easy life that so many of us think following Christ ought to give us. They were experiencing some persecution. They were dealing with the difficulties of work, the difficulties of family. They were dealing with the difficulties of a pagan government doing all it can to tamp out their faith. In fact, if you read through the entire letter to the Hebrew people, you'll notice that there is this one metaphor used over and over and over again. And it's the idea and the truth that we are walking, we are living in a wilderness. In fact, there's this picture that one of the people on our team who went to Israel and Jordan took. This is actually a picture of the wilderness in Jordan, modern day Jordan. That is a part of where the Israelites actually wandered during their 40 years. And so when he says life is a wilderness, they have a vivid picture of what that looks like. They understand what it means to live in a wilderness because they're people. Now, the author is reaching way back into the ancient story of the Israelite people. When he talks about wilderness wandering, he's talking about that 40-year period from when they left bondage in Egypt as slaves under back-breaking work. And they were taken by the power of God out of slavery, and they were heading to the promised land, but they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And the wilderness, it wasn't that there was no grass. It's just that there was almost no grass. It's not that there was no water. It's just that there was almost no water. In other words, it's not like you walk into the wilderness and die immediately, but you walk into it and you begin the process of dying. How many of us understand that is a picture of life? You enter this world and you begin the process of dying. Welcome to church. But isn't it true? We are all living in a world that is not conducive to life. Have you noticed that in your job, you seem to always, you you get to one project and then you're like, yes, I finished it. But guess what? There's another project. Or you get to one season of life and you think, if I can only make it to this one milestone, then everything's better. And then your back starts to ache. Isn't it true that no matter where you are in this life, there may be enough to barely survive, but you start this process of slowly dying. And especially, isn't it also true if you are a follower of Jesus Christ? What a metaphor. We have left slavery in Egypt, the sin that so easily entangled that was leading to our death, and we have been liberated by the power of Jesus' cross. By the way, interestingly enough, they go from Egypt to the wilderness, wilderness to promised land, and what do they pass through in both places? They pass through the water of the Red Sea and the water of the Jordan. You and I leave the slavery of death through the water of baptism. And we are still in this life. Our home is approaching, but we're not there yet. Isn't it true we are not home yet, church? Everyone say yes. And so the first thing he wants us to understand is simply this. Life is a wilderness, and it is a difficult thing to live. 
The thing I would want you to understand if you're not going through a wilderness moment right now is that someone around you, someone in this room, in fact, many people in this room, I'm seeing some of you, I know your stories, and you are going through it right now. You're wearing a brave face, but you're going through the wilderness. And the first thing we need to understand before any of this will make sense is that life is not easy. And those in this room, those you know, they're going through hard seasons just as you are as well. The second thing he wants us to know is that it's easy to grow hard in hard times. Isn't it true that often hard times produce hard people? Now notice I did not say strong people. I said hard people. Because there's a difference between strength and growing hard, isn't there? You know, one person who goes through a difficult time, but they come out stronger, but they do not lose their joy, their zest and zeal for life. You know, other people who go through the same situation and they come out hard and bitter. They become a prickly person. They lose that loved one and it changes their demeanor. They lose the job and they give up hope. They lose this promotion. They lose that. They lose, and all of a sudden they become hard. It is so natural and easy to grow hard in hard times. This is why the Hebrew writer says this, do not, in verse 8, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Because it is easy to grow hard in hard times. Because when you are going through a hard time, it's easy to wonder, does God love me? Because we have this assumption, if God is with us, life will be easy. By the way, that may be the televangelist message. That is not the biblical message. In fact, Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? Troubles. But take heart. Why? He says, I have overcome the world. It's not that you don't have problems. It's that he is the solution to the problem. So in this world, you will have trouble. You are walking through a difficult world, and it is easy to grow hard. And so now, now he says, the antidote, the solution, the thing all followers of Jesus need in the wilderness is this wonderful gift of encouragement. Because in verse 13, he goes on to say this one thing. He says, encourage one another daily. Do you notice that next word daily? Just go ahead and circle that word daily. That word in the Greek, it's an ongoing action. I love the way one translation puts it. Encourage one another day after day after day after day after day after day. You just keep going. In other words, it is not a one-time thing where you come up and say, Bob, you're doing great. There, I've done my job. That's not biblical encouragement. In fact, he says, as long as it's called today. By the way, when do you live, church? Today. You don't live in tomorrow. You can't. You can't go back and live in yesterday. You can only live in today. So if it is today... It is a good day to resolve to encourage. But here's the big problem I find when we say this. Often we don't go deep enough in this conversation of encouragement. We just assume, okay, encouragement. I think I know what that means. Great. Can you say the amen? I want to beat the other denominations to the restaurants. Come on. You know you do this. There's the chuckle. Amen. Finally, there's a biblical guy over here. 
but it's more than just soft soap and sentimentality, church. I, I I want to show you what biblical encouragement is. Because it's not enough to simply say, let's encourage each other. If you don't understand what it is, there is a danger that you may give to your brothers and sisters in need something that will actually harm them more than help them. So let's look at what this word means. The word encouragement comes from a Greek word. Go ahead and put this word up if you can. It's parakaleo. Everyone say parakaleo. Yeah, para-kaleo. In fact, did you notice a break there in the middle? Para-kaleo. It's actually one word made of two words. Para, to come alongside, and kaleo, to call, to name something. In other words, well, let's do it this way. Para, have you ever heard of a paralegal? What do they do? They come alongside to assist. What about a parachute? Anyone know what that is? What does that do? Man, it comes along to hold you up, doesn't it? Or have you heard of a parachurch organization? It's an organization that comes alongside the church to provide a service or help with a need. The first thing you need to know that encouragement holds is it is both of these things, not simply one or the other. To come alongside, consider the moment when someone is at their worst. What they need is they need cheers and they need tears. They need cheers and they need tears. When you come alongside, we celebrate the good, but we also cry because things are broken. Isn't it true? Sometimes you don't need a lot of advice. You just need someone there who knows what it's like to go through what you're going through. But, but there's this other piece to it. It's not simply tears, but go ahead to the next slide. It's also truth. That's what to call is referring to or to name something. You are saying, this is the truth, this is the right thing, this is the direction that we need to go, we need to pursue. So we feel deeply, we experience the pain, or we celebrate the wins, but we say, we can't stay there, we must continue on. In other words, we hurt with one another, or as Jesus puts it, we weep with those who what? Weep. But we also tell the truth. Now, I don't know about you, but one of these is a lot easier for me than the other. Any of you find, you don't have to say which one, but any of you find that one of those is a little easier than the other? Any empathizers in the room? Go ahead, let me see my empathizers. You can just cry with the best of them, or you just, you, here, here's the way you know you're an empathizer. You're always wondering, how are you doing? By the way, that's a great question to ask, isn't it? How are you doing? I love empathizers. Empathizers make me feel good. I need empathizers in my life, and you do too. Truth tellers, we also need as well, don't we? Truth tellers are the ones who say, I don't really care how you feel. This is the right thing we got to do it, right? Hey, I'm sorry you hurt yourself. Let's get up, put your big boy pants on, and let's move it. But do you notice that encouragement, biblical encouragement, is not simply one or the other. It's actually both. It's being someone who gives tears and truth. Now, here's the challenge. If you tend to be a truth teller, if you operate out of your own flesh without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will only give truth. And truth is necessary, but truth without coming close to someone will lead to crushing their spirits. Or it will put them off because they say, you don't know me. You don't care about me. 
If you wonder why people never take your advice, one of two things is true. Either your advice is bad or people don't know you care. And so they aren't willing to listen. See, truth tellers can be rude and arrogant. But if it's just tears, if it's just how are you feeling, without the power of Jesus, this becomes cowardice because now you're not interested in helping people move beyond their situation or helping them step out because you don't want to create conflict. And the truth sometimes creates conflict, doesn't it? Everyone say yes. Come on, everyone knows what it's like to tell the truth and you know the conflict it can bring. So if you find that you live in the tears section, then you need the power of the Holy Spirit to give you courage and bravery to tell the truth. And if you live in the truth section, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to come alongside people, to not only show that you care, but to actually care. This is why I keep saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, biblical encouragement is not one or the other, it is both and can only be lived out through the power of God because you and I naturally will run to one extreme or the other. I will tell you why I say only through God's power because we see embodied in the life of Jesus this very practice of tears and truth. He called, he came close to people and he also called people up, didn't he? He comes near and says, I love you, but he then calls them to something else. Let me give you two examples. So in John chapter 11, probably one of the most famous stories of Jesus' life, his best buddy, Lazarus, has died. Jesus arrives on the scene a few days after the death of Lazarus, and he's confronted by Lazarus's two sisters. Do you remember their names, church? Mary and Martha, Martha, Martha. And he comes to them, and they both... Speak to Jesus, one after the other. And here's what's so interesting. If you even look at the original language, they ask the exact same question in almost the exact same language. I mean, it's almost word for word. They say to Jesus this very important question. They say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha comes to Jesus. Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What does Martha need in this moment? See, Jesus knows her well enough to know what she needs. And he says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? What is he doing? He's confronting her with truth. Yes, he's dead, but God is present. God is powerful. This is not the end of the story because God is not dead. Lazarus may be in the tomb, but God isn't. Do you believe this, Martha? But to Mary, when he then sees her a few minutes later, she says, if you'd only been here, my brother would still be alive. And does he say anything to her? He says, show me the tomb. And then we get to the shortest verse in all of the Bible. By the way, this was the first verse that I memorized as a kid. Why? It's only two words. I'm going to teach you a memory verse. Are you ready? John 11:35. Jesus wept. See, you already knew it. Jesus brings truth and tears. He gives encouragement in the way that people need it. It's not one size fits all every season, every moment. He gives what people need because he lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, for you and me to be able to live in the power of the Spirit or to operate this way, we must ask God to help us. A great question would be to ask God today, God, Do I need more tears in my life or more truth in my life? 
What is it that I more easily give and what am I more afraid to give? See, there's a price to be paid to to come near to people because people are messy. There's also a price to be paid because it takes time. There's also a price to be paid to tell the truth because people don't always like the truth. It's not always popular. See, God gives us courage so then we can encourage. He gives us what we need so we can then give it to one another. There's another story in John chapter 8 where Jesus is teaching one day and a crowd brings this woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery. And again, we see this encouragement moment where Jesus gives tears and truth, where he draws near, but he calls up. Where he says to this woman after this whole event has taken place and the people have walked off because they realize Jesus is not going to play their games. And he says to this woman with her face to the ground, he says, where are all the people who are going to condemn you? Are, Are they going to? And she says, they're not here. He says, then I don't condemn you either. I draw near. But then what does he say, church? Go and sin no more. It's not enough to say, I'm not going to beat you up. It's not enough to say, oh, it's let's move on together. And it's not enough to say, well, stop your sinning. It's I draw near to you. I think about some of the people in my life who have lived this out the best. I witnessed what it meant to draw near and call up when I was a young boy with my parents. And so many of you have been this to young people, whether your own kids or others. And you know the power of that moment where you've done something that you're ashamed of or that thing where you're so afraid and someone comes near you and they love you enough to draw near, to listen deeply. But they love you enough also to not simply love on you, but to call you up. See, that word kaleo, to call, also can be translated to name. They see something and they name what you can be and what you should be by the power of God. Encouragement isn't simply an affirmation. It is a declaration of what God can do through you and in you and for you. But see, for both of those to be at play in our life, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, as I was getting ready to come to church, it was dark. It was still dark outside. I was getting ready. I hopped in my car and started to pull out of my driveway. And something didn't feel right. You know that moment when you get in your car and like it's, it's not operating the way it should? So I, I try to back up, and, and I get out, I look in my, around, and one of my tires is just like flat as a pancake. So I think, oh, this is no good, but I'm in the middle of the road there, so I have to back out. So I back back into our driveway, and now the tire is not only flat, it's like come off of the entire whatever that, what is that thing called, the metal part in the middle? Thank you, guys. I'm a preacher. And so I'm looking at this, and I was like, this is such a picture of what the church is supposed to be to keep this from happening. Isn't it true that you and I often find ourselves at low spots, but the body of Christ, but the power of the spirit, by the way, what's another word for spirit? It's wind. The spirit, the pneuma of God, the power of God, the breath of God. He comes into each of our lives and he empowers us then to speak truth and to come near to one another. We are to build one another up, to help one another. What is a flat tire? It's a tire that has become deflated where the wind is out of it. And if left that way too long, if driven on too long, it not only remains flat, but it comes apart. God has placed you in the lives of those around you to speak the breath of life, God's truth into others. 
But you can't do that from a distance. This is why he invites us to draw near to him, and then he calls us to draw near to one another. See, I think the church is at her best when we are a people who practice this parakaleo encouragement. What would it be like for everyone who encountered any person who is a part of this body out in our city, if every time they came in contact with you at your school, they said, man, they draw near to me and they always have a word that seems appropriate for the moment. What would it be like in your workplace if whenever you stepped into the room, there was just this breath of fresh air that people experienced because you brought with you the breath of life, the goodness of God with you. You drew near like Jesus and you also called what is true, true. You named what is right, right. What would it be like in your own families? Isn't it amazing? We often encourage those outside our homes and discourage those inside our homes. What would it be like, men, if we said to our wives the words they so desperately need to hear? And not only the words, but what if we gave the time to be close to them? Now, I understand you need to work hard so you're able to care for your family. But for some of you, your family needs more of your physical time than you away at the office. And ladies, what would it look like for you to draw near to your man? to speak words of life to him. Parents, what would it look like for us to constantly draw near to our kids and we would tell them the truth that's different than what they want to hear? By the way, there's a word for elevating our kids to being our gods. We call that chidolatry. It's where you say that they are the number one thing and so we will never do anything that hurts their frail, fragile little egos. That is not biblical and that's not loving. Encouragement is saying, I draw near. I'm in your corner, but I'm gonna do so by calling what is true, true. I'm gonna name what is right. How would it look for us as a people of God to practice this daily, day after day after day? And by the way, since today is today, today would be a great day for you to find one person who needs encouragement. And so here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to ask God, who is the one person today that needs the parakaleo of God? Who's the one who needs to know that they are not alone and one who needs to be encouraged with words? And as he puts that person on your heart, I'm going to ask you, before the day is over, will you call that person, go visit that person, send that person a text, whatever it may be, baby steps, but take the step. For as the writer says, Encourage one another daily because God has something good for that person and he wants to give it through you. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray over you and then we will be one final song. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the way that you come to us and you did not simply speak to us what was true from a mountaintop You did not simply tell us what was true through a sacred book, but you told us what was true through the closeness of your very son, Jesus Christ, who came in physical form. He drew near to us. He lived among us, and he breathed out the truth that we all need. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And as those who follow him, I pray now that we would follow his example. I ask that you would please... Bring to mind the name of that person that you want each of us to encourage today. Father, we pray for that individual 
whose marriage is falling apart and they just need to know that they're not alone. We pray for the person who's received the cancer diagnosis and they don't know what tomorrow may bring. We pray for those who just are tired of life and struggling and that you would hold them close. And I pray now that you'd bring their names to our minds so that through our voices and our hands, we may share with them the presence of Jesus in their life. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.